Hello and welcome to Mr. President from otrgold.com. This episode will begin after a brief message from our sponsors. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mr. President, starring Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer's Edward Arnold. (laughs) Mr. President, at home in the White House, the elected leader of our people, our fellow citizen and neighbor. These are the little-known stories of the men who've lived in the White House, dramatic, exciting events in their lives that you and I so rarely hear. True human stories of Mr. President. In just a moment, you'll hear Edward Arnold as Mr. President. But first... Are you familiar with the powers and duties of the President of the United States? Have you ever stopped to think how many and varied are the things the President must do and know in this, the most important job in the world today? Surely this year, when the choice of a President is placed before the American people, a better understanding of the position and its history are of tremendous importance. This, in warm, human, personal fashion, is the background of Mr. President. For here on this weekly radio program you listen to the inside stories of the men who have been called Mr. President. Here you learn of their likes and dislikes, their disappointments and triumphs, both personal and official. Listen now to this story and see if you can name the president upon whose career this story is based. Now, in just a moment, Edward Arnold. Edward Arnold as Mr. President. Let's visit him in the White House. It is Sunday and the old mansion is resting quietly after a busy week. We walk through the great doors under the presidential seal, across the foyer, and down the long hall to the president's study. Come in, come in. Sit down, won't you? Uh, Many of you know, I'm sure, that today is the first anniversary of Mr. President. We felt we'd like to do a story of special significance today, and we thought of this one. It's a very special story indeed, because it was told to me last year by President Truman himself in the White House. The President told me it's his favorite story, and I hope he may have found time in the midst of the President's uh, pressure of his high office to listen to us today. Remember that great command, He that is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone... Well, those words occurred to me many times while I was president, although there was some who thought I had a pretty quick quick temper. The job I had keeping my temper is just what this story is is about. Later on, of course, I'll tell you which president held on to himself up to a point. But meanwhile, you may be able to guess. 
The morning it all began, the government was having money troubles as usual. I was more grumpy than usual, which was pretty grumpy, I assure you. And Miss Sarah was fussing and clucking, as women always do, it seems, when a man has a problem on his mind. Now, Mr. President, I wish you wouldn't excite yourself this way. It isn't good for you at your age. What's my age got to do with it? I'm as sound as a silver dollar and you know it. You mustn't upset yourself. You know what the doctor said. Doctors have to say something. That's what they're paid for. And no doctor can cure my trouble. Did you take your pill after breakfast? No, I didn't take my pill after breakfast. I'm sorry, sir. Uh, you always forget, and I'm only thinking of your own good. There, there, Miss. Uh, I'm sorry if I hurt your feelings. That's all right, Mr. President. Now, if you'd really like to do some something good for me, find an answer to this mess over the United States Bank. But you warned the directors, Mr. President. And they promptly defied me. Look at this report from New Orleans at the height of the season. When the businessmen down there need every bit of cash available, these these bankers are calling loans, refusing extensions, running down the prices on the markets, and they've had the unmitigated nerve to transfer more than a million dollars in specie up north to use for, for personal gambling and foreign exchange. It sounds very bad, Mr. President. Bad? It's worse than that. They're trying to discredit me because they don't like my financial policies. But that won't save them, not for a minute. I wish I had a suggestion to offer. So do I, Miss Sarah, so do I. I've got to take the pressure off the local banks somehow, and if they force me to, I'll withdraw every deposit of government funds from the United States Bank and put that money in the local banks. Mr. President! Yes, it sounds drastic, doesn't it? Even to you. Oh. Well, we'll see. <laughs> you know, sometimes the threat of action can accomplish as much as the action itself. We shall see. Now then, is anybody outside? As if the presidential waiting room was ever empty? <laughs> There's one visitor from Mississippi. Uh, Mr. Paul... Uh... Dexter? Yes. Paul Dexter? Well, have the rascal in at once. Now, fetch him, Mr. President. Paul, you're devil. Come on in here. Come on in. Well, Mr. President, <laughs> you haven't changed, I see. Or rather, here, still shouting at Miss Sarah. Yes, I'm afraid I am. And that everybody in sight or within hearing. <laughs> Must be a strain on you, Miss Sarah. Oh, I'm getting used to it. And if it gets too much, I can always stuff some of your Mississippi cotton in my <laughs> Will you need me, Mr. President? Well, in the larger sense, always, Miss Sarah. But for the moment, no. Thank you, sir. Well, Paul, it's good to see you. Bad Penny always turns up. Oh, no. In trouble again? No, not exactly. I wouldn't have bothered you about this. Well, but... there's never any bother where an old friend is concerned. I'll bet you three to one I can tell you what's on your mind. You'd never bet at such odds unless you were sure. No bet, but go ahead. Well, let's see. You've come up from Mississippi for a reason, a good reason. You didn't uh, just come up for the funeral of old Senator Clark, did you? You know, I think I see the senatorial gleam in your eye... You want the appointment to the vacancy he left. <laughs> Sharp as ever, Mr. President. Well, I see no reason why you shouldn't have it, Paul. Well, there's some folks back home who seem to think there are reasons. No, is that so? What, for instance? Well, for one, I, I killed a man once. Oh. Well, so did I, Paul. You know that. Had in a fair fight, just as you did. Some people think my fight wasn't fair. Ah, Paul, unfortunate things sometimes happen in a man's life. He shouldn't be punished for him forever. Thank you, sir. Then there's a matter of my having been married twice. Uh, you know how they are in Mississippi about things like that. Oh, that's more nonsense. My Rachel of blessed memory had a husband before she met me. People talked about that, too. So you just forget it. Again, thank you, sir. Well, it's just of much more importance, Paul, that when you were in the House, you made that wonderful speech supporting my military decisions and... I know I can count on your support in the Senate as well. Trouble ahead, sir? No, not ahead, Paul. It's here, the bank, as usual. 
Up to tricks, are they? Well, frankly, Paul, I wouldn't mind merely financial shenanigans, as I've come to expect those. But when they dare to influence senators to turn down my appointments to the board of directors of the bank, well, that's strong, Paul, a little too strong for me to take. You know you, you can count out on me, sir. I'm sure of that, Paul. And you may be sure that I shall exert every bit of influence I have to get the, the governor of Mississippi to appoint Paul Dexter to that vacancy in the Senate. <laughs> Yes, it's perfectly all right, Miss Sarah. It's perfectly all right. Just two, two items, sir. A, a dinner invitation by my messenger from Senator Dexter. Mm-hmm. He says that now that he's a senator, he must, must do things properly. <laughs> and that nice young man, and Sam Gwynn, is waiting. Oh, you like him too. <laughs> well, don't set your cap for him, Miss Sarah. He's married and has children. Two. <laughs> Isn't that always the way when they're nice? <laughs> Will you see him, Mr. President? Why, of course. And since you, since you like his looks so much... You may stay for the interview. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> All right, Mr. Gwynn, the president will see you now. Oh, thank you, Miss Sarah. How do you do, sir? Oh, I'm just fine, young man, fine. You know, Sam, every time I see you, uh, you get to look more like your father. Well, I take that as a compliment, Mr. President. Well, you should. Tell me, how are things at home? Uh, about the same, sir. No improvement. Ah, that's too bad. And your own health? No change, sir. That fever I picked up during the war still recurs like clockwork. Yeah, it's nasty business, that fever. Now, look here, Sam. If you could live in a warmer climate, would it help? Well, it would help my wife, sir. The doctor says that's the only thing that will help her. But you know how it is. Times aren't too good. When I might have been getting a start, I was in the Army. Oh, not that I'm complaining about that, sir. Don't misunderstand me. Oh, I've never misunderstood you, Sam. You know, I think I have the answer to your problem, at least part of the answer. Now, there's a job open. Registrar in the land office at Mount Salis, Mississippi. Oh, dear. What is it, Miss Sarah? Uh, uh, nothing, sir. Uh, if I may, sir, I think I know what's upset, Miss Sarah. Oh, you do, do you? Yes, sir. <laughs> After all, I'm a resident of the District of Columbia. Don't the people of Mississippi expect a native of their own state in that job? Oh, don't be foolish, my boy. Just because you don't vote here doesn't mean you haven't the right to serve your country any place, anywhere, in time of peace as well as in war. Now, just forget all this nonsense and run along. As soon as the Senate gets through confirming you, you'll be on your way. And good luck to you. Oh, how can I thank you, sir? Don't thank me. Just do a good job. I promise to do my best, sir. I know and, you and will. Thank you. Don't oh, sir. Go ahead. Don't mention it. Well, sir? I think I stand your tantrums, Mr. President, because, well, because you're always using your power to help somebody somewhere. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a pretty good adage for the President, Miss Sarah. Use your power to help someone somewhere every day or something like that. <laughs> yes, sir, but this time, well, are you sure you've done right? You mean you're doubting Sam Gwynn after what you said before he came in here? Oh, no, sir, not young Mr. Gwynn, but Senator Dexter. He may feel that he ought to have been consulted. Paul, oh, no, that sort of nonsense, Miss Sarah. Whatever I do is all right with him. Uh, you send a messenger back to Paul with word that I'll be delighted to come to his dinner party. And I'll tell him what's up when I'm there, and you'll see, Miss Sarah. Paul will be as delighted to help Sam Gwynn as I am. Now, see here, Blair, you know I don't believe a word you're telling me. Mr. President, I'm positive. Once I get my hands on document or... Which you never will. Now, look here, you're a pretty good printer and a publisher. But I'm beginning to think some of those romances and novels you've been getting out have affected your thinking. Or Dexter turn against me? Why, it's ridiculous. I'm having dinner at his house tonight. Very well, sir. 
We'll see. You bet your life we'll see. Now, what about the new directors for the bank? Johnson and Tiemens will serve, sir. Connors can be talked into it. Representing the government on the board, they can block some of the actions of the others at any rate. You sound doubtful. It's not the men I'm doubting, Mr. President. I still don't think they'll be confirmed in the Senate. With Paul Dexter to lead the way? Against them. They won't have a chance. Oh, what, what am I going to do with you, Blair? You still insist that... I the... know how you feel about the gentleman from Mississippi, sir. I appreciate your old and worn friendship for him. All I can do is warn you. Which you have already done at least six times. And I shall continue to do so. Mr. President, I, I'm sorry, but this seems important. Excuse me, Blair. What is it, Miss Arm? A message from young Sam Gwynn, sir. I read it. I thought you'd better see it at once. What does it say? He's had word, sir, that Senator Dexter has had his appointment referred back to committee. He what? Yes, sir. Now will you believe me, sir? Well, I'm having dinner with Paul tonight. We'll see. Mr. President, I'm honored. Careless of Joseph not to take your hat and cane, may I... Just a moment, Paul. Are you or are you not opposing my nominees for director of the United States Bank? Oh, I'm afraid I cannot say. I have yet to see the list of your nominees. And this business of young Sam Gwynn. Ah, that milksop. Pleading for a job as if his wife's life depended on it. He's not worthy to be a protege of yours. I'll be the judge of that. Now, Sam Gwynn gets that job. That job belongs to a citizen of Mississippi. That job belongs to a citizen of the United States who's qualified for it. Preferably a veteran. Now, Sam Gwynn fills all those quali quali qualifications. I do not think so. I do. And I shall expect immediate confirmation of both Gwynn and my slave for the bank's directors tomorrow. With you, sir, showing the rest of the Senate the way. Not tomorrow, Mr. President. No, any other day. What do you say? You're my friend. Boy. I place country above friendship. Implying that I do not? If you want to take it that way. Well, there seems to be no other way to take it. Very well. A little power can make a large head, it seems that to me. That cuts both ways, I think, Mr. President. I know you thought I'd be your man when you helped me to this appointment. Well, you've been fooled, Mr. President. I may have supported you once, but never again. Uh, ring for your servant, Senator. I'm leaving here. Not before I tell you once and for all, Mr. President, that you've gone over my head once too often. I'll not run to your beck and call ever again. I'm on the way up. You're on the way down. You have a job without a future, Mr. President. And one way or another, I shall see to it that your future is short indeed. That sounds like a threat, Dexter. Call it what you will. I'll not forget this, Dexter. I think one day you will find out that while I'm a good friend, I'm also a hard enemy. Good evening, Senator Dexter. <laughs> Just a moment, we'll come back to Edward Arnold and Mr. President. More and more, people are realizing that accidents can happen to them and not always to someone else. But too many people are still not fully conscious of this fact. In 1947, 1,100,000 Americans were injured and 32,000 killed on our highways. Perhaps the most distressing thought on the subject is that most of these accidents can be avoided. For safety's sake, each of us, pedestrian or driver, must constantly remember, be careful. The life you save may be your own. For the pedestrian, the most dangerous act is crossing between intersections. For the motorist, speeding is the factor most commonly reported as contributing to traffic accidents. You can't afford to be careless. And remember that an accident can happen to you. Now... 
Back to Edward Arnold and Mr. President. Perhaps you've already guessed who the president was in this story. In any case, later on, I'll tell you his name. The weeks went by. Matters over the United States Bank went from bad to worse. I had been elected on a platform pledged to wipe out the almost illegal operations of the bank and certain of its directors. But every move I made was blocked by a group of senators led by Paul Dexter. He used the senate as a rostrum from which to attack me. The newspapers uh, published his speeches. The country began to rumble with discontent over what he was doing. Still, I hesitated to make any overt move against him. I couldn't condemn him on his past, and I wanted evidence, real, solid, factual evidence of his sudden change, his sudden violent smashing of our friendship. Things stood in that position this spring. The, uh, one night when I... I remember I went to bed early after a trying day. I fell asleep almost at once. Somebody there? Who's there? What do you want? God! God, stop that man! Stop him! Get that man! Stop him! Stop him! Oh, Mr. President, are you all right? What happened? You frightened me. I heard you shout all the way down the hall. Now, someone was in this room. I, I scared him off. Did you see him? Only well, a shadow against the window. Could it have been the curtain in the breeze, Mr. President? Curtains don't laugh, Miss Sarah. And curtains don't slam doors and run downstairs. You must have a regular guard on your door from now on, Mr. President. Not me, Miss Sarah. I won't have the country believing I'm a coward. But if that gentleman returns ever again, he'll get a warm reception. From now on, I sleep with a gun under my pillow. Mr. Frank Blair, to see you, Mr. President. Oh, Blair, Blair, come in, come in. I'll stay here, Miss Sorrow. Good morning, Mr. President. Good morning. You look as healthy as ever, sir. Mr. Blair, he takes such chances. After last night, he still refuses a guard at his door. That's one of the things I came to see you about. With feeling running as high as it is around the country, thanks to your so-called friend Dexter, you were very wise to keep this attempt out of the papers. But it will be tried again. Dexter won't stop at one try. Do you mean to suggest that Paul Dexter... Himself, no, but there are many guns for hire in Washington. Oh, ridiculous. Oh, Mr. President, if you'd only... Listen to me, both of you. Paul Dexter always was, was a rascal. Married, divorced, married again, yes. He let his son die in a poorhouse. Him and his conscience. He killed a man. You said so yourself, Mr. President. In a fair fight, as I did. But he's not capable of assassination, not that. He was accused of cowardice on the battlefield. A coward will do anything, Mr. President. Paul Dexter is not a coward, and I'm sure of it. Oh, Mr. President. How can we convince you that this man is dangerous? Show me evidence. I'll not accept a man's past as evidence. Not one of us but can remember something in his past that he's not proud of. There's one thing you have evidence on. And that is? Dexter supported your enemies in the United States Bank. I find nothing evil there. A man may change his opinion. Yes, he may. Mr. President, the second matter I came to see you about is this. Dexter's up for re-election. The term he was appointed to fill out is over this year. Do you intend to support him for re-election? Well, I shall have to think about that. And while you're speaking of the bank, Miss Sarah, hand me that pen, please. Oh, yes, sir. Thank you. There. That order removes the deposits of the government funds from the United States Bank and directs the Secretary of the Treasury to place them in the state banks. 
Now, that takes the control of the economic life of this country out of the hands of a single bank and orders a complete and thorough investigation of all books and files of the United States Bank. think it's safe to see him, Mr. President. Well, confidentially, Miss Sarah, I have two hospitals in the hospitals in the right-hand drawer of my desk. And if it'll make you feel any better, you can stay here while he's in the office. Now, be a good girl and send him in. Oh, yes, sir. Come in, Senator Dexter. Well, Dexter, thank you for seeing me so promptly. Not at all, Dexter. What's on your mind? You have ordered an investigation of the United States Bank. I have. Fire. I've had word of malpractice in the profession of banking, to put it mildly. For instance? Use of government-deposited funds to gamble in foreign currencies. Ah, ridiculous charge. We shall see, Dexter. Is that all? Far from all, sir. This matter of removing government money from the United States Bank and placing it on deposit in various state banks. Oh, what of it? Just this, sir. Tread lightly, Mr. President, or there may be charges against you. Such as... Such as depositing federal funds in banks in your own state. Banks which owe you much and are ready and willing to, to pay their, their moral debts to you in any way you desire. That'll be enough. It's more than enough. Now use that door behind you, Dexter, and use it quickly, or my cane may find a better use than, than assisting my passage through the White, White House. You wouldn't dare. Get out! There's a letter from Sam Gwynn from Mount Taylor. He loves his job, and his wife is improving already. Oh, that's wonderful, Miss Sarah. You know, some good comes out of things, doesn't it? How does the calendar look for tomorrow? It's light, Mr. President. A cabinet meeting in the morning, and oh, then over to the Capitol for the funeral of Congressman Davis. Oh, yes, yes, yes. You know, I'm almost 20 years as older than Warren Davis was, Miss Sarah. It's a strange business, isn't it? I'm still alive and fighting, and tomorrow I'm going to his funeral. A fine, fine eulogy, Mr. President. Yes, wasn't it? It's rather pointed, though, don't you think? think? Pointed? Yes, the uncertainty of life, particularly for the aged... Look, Blair, do I look aged to you? I th think you look wonderful. Oh, for my age... Look out, the fellow with the beard, he has a gun. Back, everybody, back. I'll take, I'll take care of this. Get up, get up. Get up. man, will you? Stop it. Stop it. I'm sorry I missed. You are the roots of this country's trouble. You are. And I'll try again. I'll try again. The man's mad. Take him away. Take him away. Mr. President, are you hurt? No. Both his guns missed fire. Thank heaven. Where's my cane? My cane? Where is it? Oh, here, sir. He won't forget that beating in a hurry. I, I guess not. You know, there's good hickory in this stick. Well, well, good morning, both of you. You're up early, aren't you? Good, good morning, morning, Mr. President. Well, from that frown, Blair, you have something portentous to discuss. Huh? I believe I have. These letters, sir, 
Absolute proof that our Senator Dexter has been thinking in terms of assassination. Not ours, Senator. No longer ours, Blair. Mr. President, then you see the danger. There is no danger except insofar as his irresponsible utterances and publications are affecting unstable minds. Like that fellow Lawrence's who tried to kill me. For heaven's sake, sir, what more do you want? Certainly you can't turn the other cheek more than you have. You have your letters, Blair. I have mine. They were turned up by the government investigators in the files of the United States Bank. For instance, from Sam Carson, member of Congress in North Carolina, to Paul Dexter. And I quote, Mr. B., that's the president of the bank, called on me yesterday and said that he promised you a statement of the arrangements, etc., which will be evidence in your possession of the nature of the arrangement. And in this one, from Mr. B. himself to Dexter, you apprise me of your wish to substitute the name of J.S. Johnson for that of Colonel Towson on the bill discounted for you. The necessary instructions have been forwarded to our cashier in Washington. Why, that's... That, that's bribery. How can he? Apparently he did, Miss Sarah. And those two are only a sample. It seems all this was in Paul Dexter's mind when he came here to ask me to help him make him a senator. Are you going to let him get away with this too, Mr. President? I think not, Blair. I think not. We can break him with these, sir. And smear the United States Senate while we're doing so? This man is an exception, I'm sure. We may have mistaken senators, Blair, honestly mistaken men with whom we at least disagree. But I will not have them tarred with this brush. Oh, no. We have another means, and we shall take it. The election. Why, of course. Without my support as head of the party of the Mississippi, Dexter will never be reelected. Need I say more? No more, Mr. President. May I say it's about time? Yes, you may say it. In fact, you have. And may I say, Mr. President, that your forbearance with this man has been almost unbelievable. Well, Miss Sari, it's quite simple. I'm no longer a young man. If I have one more ambition, it is to go home and end my days in peace. And you see, I read my Bible regularly, which may seem strange in someone with my, my so-called temper. <laughs> However, I have two principles of a man is presumed innocent until the evidence proves him guilty. And the second is found in the words of the Apostle John, Let him that is without sin among you cast the first stone. Well, you've probably guessed by now who I was when all that happened. It really did happen to know, you know, and I'll tell you the answer in just a moment. Have you heard about the 21 old men of 10 Gramercy Park, London? Well, you will when you hear I Love Adventure every Sunday night over most of these ABC stations. The 21 old men are from every part of the universe, and they've banded together for one purpose, to help make the world a better place to live. To achieve this goal, they hire Detective Jack Packard and two of his friends to go out on missions that are filled with mystery and adventure. They may go to Singapore or to South America. So remember, don't miss I Love Adventure tonight and every Sunday night when 30 minutes of adventure comes your way over many of these same ABC stations. I Love Adventure tonight on ABC. Now, here again is Edward Arnold. time of our story was 1833, during the second term of President Andrew Jackson. The stormy old general, you will remember, lost his beloved wife, Rachel, just before he came to the White House. 
What is not such common knowledge is that Andrew Jackson married her after he had divorced her first husband and later fought a duel over her in which he killed his opponent and was severely wounded himself. The president's false friend in this series of events, whom we call Paul Dexter, was a gentleman from Mississippi named George Poindexter, who likewise killed a man in a duel in those salty days, and who was a close friend of Jackson's until the events we told you about today. Come and see me again next week, won't you? I'll have another story for you about Mr. President that I'm sure you'll enjoy. Goodbye. Edward Arnold appeared by arrangement with Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, producers of Irving Berlin's Easter Parade, starring Judy Garland and Fred Astaire. <laughs> Mr. President was created by Robert G. Jennings. It is produced and directed by Dwight Hauser. Miss Sarah was played by Joan Alexander. This story by Ira Marion was suggested by incidents in the administration of President Andrew Jackson. Music was composed and conducted by Glenn Osser. Sure to listen again next week when the American Broadcasting Company and its affiliated stations bring you Edward Arnold in another interesting and factual story of Mr. President. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. <laughs>